Well, this morning, I'd like us to spend some time studying probably the most popular psalm in the entire Word of God. What psalm would you think that is? Well, if you said 23, which one eager person just did, then you got the right answer. Tonight, this morning, I'd like us to turn to the 23rd Psalm, if you would take your Bibles and turn there. This has been in rankings consistently number one. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, called Psalm 23 the pearl of psalms. It is the psalm that is probably most consistently read at funerals. It is the psalm that is perhaps the one psalm that is on the lips of dying saints. So what is it that makes Psalm 23 so attractive? Why would we so eagerly say the 23rd Psalm? What is the drawing attraction of Psalm 23? I I, I think that it's, it's very interesting that Psalm 23 is located in a trilogy, that's three psalms, that reveal different aspects of Jesus. For example, Psalm chapter 22 speaks about Jesus as the servant who suffers and it points to the cross. Psalm chapter 24 speaks of Jesus as the sovereign Lord, the King who reigns and it points to His crown. But Psalm chapter 23 speaks about Jesus as our shepherd who provides for us and it points us to His crook, His staff, that leads and guides us. I believe that the reason why this psalm is so attractive in its nature is because all of us here have the personal recognition that we all need a shepherd. We need somebody to guide us and lead us and help us and protect us. But not only do we recognize the need of a shepherd, but to those of us who are believers This psalm gives us a a direct, personal connection to the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Because you can't read Psalm 23 and not see Jesus as our shepherd. So this morning, my message is entitled, Jesus is my shepherd. And we'll look at this psalm together as we study it. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. It's a beautiful psalm. 
As we look at it this morning, I really want to simply try to answer two questions because I really want us to study it and understand, draw out of it what we need for our lives. And the first thing I'd like us to see this morning is, why is it that I'm entitling it, Jesus is my shepherd? Because when you read this psalm, you never see the name of Jesus. And the second point I'd like us to see is, how is it then that Jesus is personally my shepherd? How does this work in my life on a daily basis? So let's begin by trying to settle the question, why is it that we ascribe this psalm specifically to Jesus, knowing that his name is not mentioned anywhere? Well, let's look at the opening phrase. Notice what it says. In fact, let's all say it together. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me one more time. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, why would I say that this is Jesus is my shepherd? Well, first of all, the name Lord is actually a reference to the person of Jesus Christ. If you'll notice the word Lord, do you notice something interesting about it? All the letters are in what? Capitals. Now, that's not a mistake. Because if you read the Old Testament, whenever you see the word Lord in capitals, it's actually referring to God's personal name in the Hebrew language. Now, what is God's name in Hebrew? Well, it's only four letters, Y-H-W-H, and we have then translated it the name Jehovah or the name Yahweh. But if you'll just say it this way, it's God's personal name, just like you have a personal name. And that personal name is referring to the God who exists. For example, maybe you remember the story of Moses. You remember Moses? Okay. You remember Charlton Heston? Maybe that helps some of you. Okay. Moses was a shepherd on the backside of a desert, and at the age of 80 years old, God appeared to him in a burning bush that was not consumed by fire. God spoke to him out of that burning bush, called him by name. And God told Moses he was going to be the redeemer, the deliverer of the children of Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians as they were living there in Egypt. And of course, Moses goes to God and he says, well, Lord, When I say you've sent me, what do I call your name? What does God say to Moses? He says, I am that I am. What does that mean? Well, think of it this way. All the nations on the earth had gods and all their gods had names. And when God said, I am that I am, what he's really saying is, I'm the only God that exists. All the others are false. I am the God who exists, and I am a self-existing God. That is, I am the one who exists by myself, I exist in myself, and I exist for myself. I don't depend on anybody for my existence, and you depend on me for your total existence. By the way, what is it that we need to exist? Everything. Air, food, for most of us, a lot of it. Sleep. Rest, water, we have an unlimited need to have things supplied to us for our existence. What does God need to exist? Absolutely nothing. He is the self-existing God. Now, what's really very interesting is how Jesus uses that name. Would you turn to the book of John chapter 8 and verse 58 and let's look at it. Here we find the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is speaking to the religious leaders of his day. And he made a statement that blew him away. He said, Jesus said, 
that he actually lived before Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of the Jews. He lived 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. And Jesus said to, his, to the leaders, I lived before Abraham. Well, confused, they asked him, how could this be true? Because Jesus wasn't even 50 years old and Abraham lived 2,000 years ago. And listen to the reply of Jesus in John 8, verse 58. Notice what he said. Before Abraham was, what? I am. What was he saying? He was saying that when you see me, Jesus, here in the New Testament, actually, I'm Jehovah of the Old Testament. You say, how do you know that that's exactly what he meant? Because what does it say in the next verse? It says that they picked up stones to stone him with. And whenever Jews stone somebody, in this case, it would be for blasphemy. That is, though he is a man, he is claiming to be the Lord of the Old Testament. And so when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, what is he saying? He is saying that in the fullness of divine revelation, that this Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus of the New Testament. Jesus is my shepherd. So when I read Psalm 23, I'm reading about Jesus. But not only does the word Lord refer to his name, but the title shepherd refers to his work. Jesus is a shepherd. Do you know that when Jesus was born, there were some wise men from the east that came to see him, the three wise men? And they came to the king of Israel. His name was Herod. Do you remember what they asked him? They said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, as soon as Herod heard that, he wasn't overly excited because he said, I'm the king. And so he went to the religious leaders of his day and he asked them, the head priest, where is it that the promised Messiah is to be born? Because all the Jews knew that God had promised to send a Messiah into the world. And their answer was incredible. Because they came back to him with two Old Testament verses that they combined together and they put it in one verse and listen to what they said. Matthew 2, 6, and, o, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Did you know that God promised the Jewish people that he would send to them a Messiah, a ruler, a king, but that would be a special kind of king. He would be a shepherd king. And we know that Jesus fulfilled that being a shepherd king because what did he say in John chapter 10 and verse 11? He said, I am the good what? Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus went to a cross and he died on that cross as a good shepherd for his sheep. So what do we see in Christ? He is the one who fulfills the role as a shepherd. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. But let me say one other reason why I believe that this is referring to Jesus. And that is because of the deep personal connection the sheep have with the shepherd. What does it say? The Lord is whose shepherd? Say it. My shepherd. He didn't say, it's not southern. He didn't say y'all's shepherd. Or if you're from the north, Ewan's shepherd. 
It was a personal connection. Do you know why? Because ladies and gentlemen, God always personalizes himself to you as an individual. The Lord is my shepherd. He did this in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 34 verse 30, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep. You see, folks, God seeks to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to be your shepherd. And in the New Testament, Jesus personalizes his shepherd relationship with his own disciples. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. A number of years ago, I was overseas in the land of Israel. Numbers of you are getting ready to go there with your pastor. And we visited a place called Nazareth Village in Nazareth. It's a recreation of the life back in biblical times. And one of the neatest things that is there is a small flock of sheep. That's, they are, the sheep are living in their sheepfold or what we call their sheep pen. And so you come walking up there and your guide tells you to call the sheep and tell them to come out of their pen and so, you know, everybody gets up there and say, hey, sheep, come on out. And, and they actually exist as if they actually exist as, as if you don't exist. They just keep on about their business. And then all of a sudden, the shepherd, their shepherd, calls them. It's, it's the craziest thing. They sit straight up, turn their head, look at the sheep and go straight out. It's the coolest thing. And as soon as I saw that, I thought of my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life. Listen to me very carefully. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know that God actually calls your name? He calls you. Some of you are sitting here today and you're not, you're not the sheep of his pasture. You're not a Christian yet, but God has been calling your name. First time I heard the gospel, I had a sense in my heart, God was calling me, but I didn't become a believer right away. And two years later, my freshman year of college in a military school, I accepted Jesus as my savior. But when I was listening to the message, I felt God calling on my heart. I believe God's calling some of you. You, you are to come into his sheepfold because Jesus wants to be your shepherd. And the reason why this psalm is so personal to us is because those of us who are the sheep of his pasture hear his voice. We have a relationship with him. So that leads me to my second point this morning. And how is it that Jesus shepherds me personally if the Lord is my shepherd? How does this work? And notice what he says here in this psalm because he tells us in different ways he shepherds us. Number one, he says, he's my provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that God gives us everything we want. But it does mean that God gives you everything you need. That with the Lord, you will never lack for what you need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You say, preacher, how can I be so sure and so confident that God will provide for me? Can I go back into the Old Testament with a very famous story? It's the story of Abraham and Isaac when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son. 
They got on their donkeys and they took a three-day ride from where they lived in Hebron in southern Israel and they, and they rode their donkeys up to a place called Mount Moriah. They were at the base of the mountain and Isaac said, Dad, here's the, word, here, here's the wood, here's the fire, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham made a statement, it's very important. He said, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. That is, he had faith to believe that God would provide a sacrifice to take the place of his son Isaac. Well, if you know the story, they went up to the top of Mount Moriah, and there Abraham was going to sacrifice his son in obedience to God, Genesis 22. But God stopped him and caught in a thicket was a ram, and that ram was offered as a sacrifice in Isaac's place. And then Abraham named that place of sacrifice, and he named it in English, it says the Lord will provide. In Hebrew, perhaps you've heard this, he said this, Jehovah, does anybody know the next phrase? Jireh. How many have ever heard that? Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> it means the Lord will provide. Actually, it literally means God sees. And the point he's saying is this, if God sees your need, then God is going to meet your need. If God has prevision, God has provision. And God will meet your need. Now, let's fast forward 2,000 years on that same mountain called Mount Moriah. Do you know where Mount Moriah is today? It's the city of Jerusalem. And on that mount, Mount Moriah, God provided for man his greatest need. And what was that? A sacrifice for your sins. God provided a sacrifice in your place so that you do not have to pay for your sin, but God sent his own son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, to be slain for your sins. You know what your greatest need is? You need to get saved. Your greatest need is you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And God has provided a Savior. Now, here's the point Paul makes about that in Romans 8 and verse 32 when he says these words, He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And do you know what Paul is doing? He's arguing from a point of logic. It's very simple. If God is willing to give you your greatest need, will he give you a lesser need? What is your greatest need? You need a savior. You need a sacrifice for your sin. If God has provided the greatest need, everything else is less. And so therefore, if I'm a believer, God has provided for me my needs and salvation. God will provide for me all of my other needs. A number of years ago, I don't know if your pastor remembers this, but I called him up one day. I said, hey, brother, how you doing? He shouted to me over the phone. He said, Jehovah Jireh. I asked him a question. I said, what'd you get? <laughs> God provided our needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Then notice number two, not only is he my provider, but he's my peace. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. What do we know about sheep? Now, I've noticed something about Guam. I don't see a lot of sheep. So if you grew up here, it's kind of hard to imagine what sheep are like. So we have to kind of deal with, deal with it by watching National Geographic or something. But we know some things about sheep. We know that they're fearful, they're very nervous, and very insecure animals. And so therefore, the role of the shepherd is to provide places for them where they can eat, feel safe, and rest. By the way, by the way what do we call that? 
where you eat, you feel safe, and you're at rest. Do you have a name for that? Maybe you just go, <sighs> well, the Bible has a name for that. You know what it's called? It's called peace. And the Hebrew word, those of you that are getting ready to go to Israel, you're going to use this every day. You know what the word is? What? Shalom. What does the word shalom mean? Well, it means peace, but it means more than just the way you think of peace. Because when we think of peace, we think of we're not fighting each other. I pray for peace. That means we won't fight with each other. That's not what peace is. Peace in the Bible means wholeness or healthiness. It means fullness. It means contentment. The Lord is the one who can give me contentment. You know, in the world, we seek for peace. We seek for something in the world as if somehow the world can satisfy me in fulfilling my desires. And we find that when we get what we want, we don't always want what we have. And it doesn't really make us happy. And it doesn't really satisfy us. But what Jesus is saying is, I am your shalom. I'm the one that brings you wholeness and wellness and fullness. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The word lead there means to guide to a watering place, a place where the waters are at rest. Sheep don't drink out of rapidly flowing river. Oftentimes, the shepherd will have to take stones and dam up the running waters in order to create an oasis of calm water. And so what is the, what is the job of the shepherd? He is to provide and create a shalom experience. Do you know what? Everybody in this room, every one of you, I don't know you personally, but I know, I know human nature enough to know that everybody in this room wants to have shalom experiences. You want to live at peace. You want to have a sense of contentment and happiness, and where is that found? The Lord is my peace. And then notice number three, he is my restorer. He says, he restores my soul. You know what we know about sheep? They're prone to wander. Uh, they don't win the intelligence award. They wander Away And therefore, they have to be continually brought back. And the word restore means to turn back to the Lord, to restore your spiritual life. Jesus used an illustration we all know. It's the story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. But what does one do? He goes astray. You know, one of the hardest things about being a parent is when a child goes astray. One of the hardest things about being a pastor is when a church member goes astray. But you know what? I've never been in the ministry where there weren't strays. Where people wander away from God and sometimes there's a tendency on our human part to think it's all our fault that they go astray. Well, can I say something? I got four kids and they're all sheep. And mom and dad tried to do a good job at raising our kids, but you know what? They still got wills. And they actually do dumb things. And sometimes I just have to give them back to the Lord and say, God, you've got to bring them back. And you know what I've learned about the Lord? He's a good shepherd. He's really good. 
He's really good at bringing back those who wander away. 1 Peter 2.25, for we were straying away like sheep, but we have returned to the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. And not only does he bring us back, but he fixes us up. Because sheep can hurt themselves and bruise themselves and get cut. And what does the good shepherd do? He binds up their wounds. When they fall, he fixes their skinned up knees. He restores those who have fallen away. And how does he do that? He does it through the power of his word. Spurgeon said it this way, when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. Maybe you're here this morning. And you're a Christian, but you're a wandering sheep. Would you not come back to the shepherd and bishop of your soul? And then notice number four, he is my guide. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The shepherd leads the sheep in the land of Israel through the hills of Judea to fields of green grass. Now, let me just say this. Those of you that are getting ready to go to Israel... Uh, what, you, what you start to learn is that the wilderness where the sheep go out and graze, they don't have grass on the ground 24-7 for 12 months. It's not that way, okay? It's not Guam, all right? It's desert. The grass grows at certain times of the year. The job of the shepherd is to lead them through those hills to places where grass is located. But what you also will see when you see the hills there is they, they are lined with thousands of well-worn paths. Some paths lead to food, others lead to cliffs. And the wilderness is a place of a thousand dangers. And only the shepherd knows the right path for a sheep to take. Only the shepherd can keep his sheep from going the wrong way and getting hurt. And what does the Bible say? Jesus is a good shepherd because Jesus is a good guide. There's probably not an hour in the day in my normal life that I don't pray, God, guide me. The job that I have and the decisions we have to make, Lord, I don't have the wisdom. I need your guidance. You are the good shepherd. And do you, you know what? You don't have the wisdom either. But God has promised all of us to lead us in the right path, in the right way, to the right person, to the right place, to the right job, if we will but trust Him. Why? Because He is a good shepherd. He is my guide. And then notice the next thing it says He is. He is my protector. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Israel is a land of hills and valleys, and that's literal. When shepherds lead their sheep to green pastures, they often have to walk through valleys. And the valleys there are dry valleys, and they're also riverbeds. They're called wadis. Those wadis are very, very dangerous places because normally they're dry and so you just easily walk through them. However, during the times of the rainy season, 
When the rain comes, those waters flow down from the higher up part of the mountain and they flow down in those dry riverbeds, those wadis, and they become extremely dangerous. And almost every year in the land of Israel, unsuspecting hikers are washed away to their deaths. It's a dangerous place, but it's also a very dark place because there are high hills, and when you're down in the bottom of the valley, oftentimes the sun is obstructed by the steep cliffs. The Hebrew word for the shadow of the valley means a place of deep darkness, a place of a death shadow, because in these valleys, wild animals lurked. We know this is true because we know that David was a shepherd and he had his sheep. And the Bible says that David actually fought off a lion and a bear. So what did David use to protect the sheep? Well, he already knew what he had because he tells us. It tells us he had a rod and a staff. What was a rod? It was about a two-foot-long oak club. He carried that. You know why? Because he whacked other animals with it. He had a staff. What was that for? The, 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 the rod was for the intruding, invading uh, animals that were coming in. But the staff was actually for the sheep because it had a bent or a hooked end on it, and sometimes it was used to pry sheep loose from the bushes or to push branches aside or to pull fallen sheep out of a hole or to lead them along a narrow path or sometimes to drive off snakes. These tools, according to what David said, were comfort for fearful sheep. And what David is saying is this, that the presence of the shepherd means the absence of fear. We are never so conscious of the presence of God than when we pass through life's valleys. We know this when we are walking through the valley, the shepherd is with us. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Lord will protect me. I look around and see a lot of military personnel. This is a wonderful promise to God's children. And then notice finally he says, he prospers me. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. David constantly encountered deadly enemies who sought to destroy him. But at the same time as they were trying to destroy him, what was God doing? God was prospering him. The Hebrew word here for table was not like a table that we eat at. It was a skin or a leather mat that was spread out on the ground like a picnic blanket. What he's saying here is the good shepherd always brings his flock to places where they can spread out and eat and lie down and rest. And the word translated, he anoints me, describes an animal that is fat or well-fed. A fat animal was considered a healthy animal. It means fullness. What David is saying is this, that ever since he was anointed by the prophet Samuel, God had poured out his rich and abundant blessings on him. His cup was always running over. You, you, you know what that means. You fill up a glass with water. If you have a 
four-year-old child, you never fill the glass up to the top. Why? You fill it up about halfway. But when God fills up our glass, He not only fills it to the top, but He fills it and it starts running over. What is he saying? He's saying that God's riches are towards us, the riches that are in Christ. And God prospers our life, not so much financially, but all the blessings that life can give. God gives them to his people. And so he concludes. And as he concludes, he concludes with a testimony of his confidence and his commitment. Look at his confidence. He said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He's he's confidently testifying of the Lord that God's goodness and mercy are with him everywhere he goes. Spurgeon said of these two words, goodness and mercy, he called them God's guardian angels, his twin guardian angels. He said, they're always with me, just like when a great prince goes abroad, he never goes by himself, so he is attended by those that go with him. The same is true of the believer. Everywhere the believer goes, goodness and mercy follows him all the days of his life, during dark days as well as bright days, during days of fasting and days of feasting, during dreary days and bright days, goodness supplies our needs and mercy blots out our sins. God's, he, he knew this. He was confident that wherever he would go, God's goodness and mercy would go with him. And he concludes with this point in his song. And that is, he concludes with the testimony of his commitment. Notice what he says. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does that mean? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I I think of going to church. Does that mean I live in church 24-7? David was, David lived in the land of Israel. They didn't have a Baptist church in the land of Israel. They had the temple and the temple wasn't even built then. It was the tabernacle. It was a tent. Does that mean he just shows up at the tent all the time? What does it mean? The word dwell there is the exact same word that is found back in verse 3, when he says, he restores my soul. The word restore and the word dwell are the exact same word. And what it simply means is this, that David is saying, I will return or I will go back to the place where God's presence is throughout all the days of my life and ultimately I will go to heaven in his presence. What I believe he's saying here is this, that the way that I live my spiritual life is I constantly return to the Lord time and time again. I will keep going back to the house. You know, I'm glad you're in church this morning, amen? I'm glad you're here. Because when you come here, something happens to you. Something happens to you, and you know it. There's a restoration going up. Fact is, when sheep wander away from the church, they never do good. Never, ever. What David is saying is this, that I have such a good shepherd, I just keep coming back to him. I just keep coming back. If I've wandered away, I come back. If I'm bruised and beat up, I come back. If I'm hungry, I come back. If my life is in trouble, I come back. 
If I need direction and guidance, what do I do? I come back. When I'm living with fear and insecurity, what do I do? I keep coming back. And as I keep coming back to him, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That means all the days of his life and ultimately when he leaves his life and he steps into the very presence of God. Perhaps you've watched the news this week and if so, then you've been made aware of the death of a famous evangelist named Billy Graham. Billy Graham lived probably an hour from where I live. And he was famous because he preached the gospel, but what's the most important thing about his death is that he didn't die, he just went to heaven. In other words, it wasn't over with. As he said, when you hear of my death, don't think I'm dead because I'm more alive than I've ever been in my life. I want to ask you this question. Have you come to the Lord for eternal life. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that Jesus is your shepherd? And then finally this, are you a believer? Do you need to return back to the shepherd? Then would you come back to him today? The Lord Jesus is my shepherd.